covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Another week's worth of Brewers talk, and we're coming at you after what is probably the uh, the best moment of the year for the Brewers, albeit a very shortened season. We're only a few weeks into the year, but taking three out of four in Chicago against the Cubs and getting back to 500. Certainly things are a lot better as I speak to you on Sunday night when I'm recording as opposed to even four days ago when uh, a lot of things seem to be going not quite so uh, so good with this team uh, at that point. We'll get into all that here on the podcast, uh, our housekeeping items here at the top. If you do uh, want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, if you can leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done any of those things, all those things would be very much appreciated. All right, so it's an interesting time right now for the Brewers because, as mentioned, they found a way to win three out of four against the Cubs. They won a bunch of one-run games. They won an extra inning game in there. Uh, they they just kind of found a way to get it done. They got enough big hits at big moments to put enough runs on the board, and they got wins. And at the end of the day, winning baseball games is the most important thing. There are still clearly some issues with this club from an offensive standpoint. They're still not doing what you want them to do. There are a lot of players who are struggling at this point. From a uh, pitching standpoint, they're giving up runs early, uh, back to hitting for a moment. They're not scoring early. One area that has been very good has been the bullpen, especially uh, when they've got everybody available. Like on Sunday and also on Friday when they're able to go uh, with Williams and then Phelps and then Hayter to close out a game, it really feels like those 7th, 8th, and ninth innings are on complete and total lockdown. You know, one of the things that I'm kind of struggling with this year, and I think a lot of people who cover baseball, have been around baseball, uh, are struggling with, with the same thing that I am right now. And I've got no problem telling you that I am. I don't completely know how to evaluate things in a 60-game season. There has clearly been a lot of discussion about how much leash, how much rope you give a struggling player because there's not as much time on the backside to for them to get it put together and get it right. And I'm going to use Omar Nervaez as an example here just because, he, quite honestly, he's the easiest example to use of all the Brewers players who have not yet met expectations from a hitting standpoint. Nervaez is probably the guy who's number one on that list. So I'm using him in as, as an example, but you can apply what I'm about to say to, I think, a lot of different players on the team. Does Manny Pena give you a better chance at this very moment to win a baseball game on a day-in, day-out basis? I think the answer to that question is yes. He's hitting better. He's a very good defensive catcher. So then the question is, well, then why isn't Manny Pena playing every day? And this is where this is where it gets interesting and where in a 60-game season, it makes the decision-making process that Craig Council and all the baseball decision-makers in the organization, it makes this process a lot tougher. Because as much as you want to win baseball games on an everyday basis, especially in a 60-game season where every win is so vitally important, where you want to win games on an every-game basis, 
you also want to be moving towards a place where your baseball team is at its best at the end of the season. So a perfect scenario is you get into the playoffs and you're playing your best baseball right around the time that the playoffs are getting started. That's what you want to have happen. And for the Brewers to be their their best selves, Omar Narvaez has got to turn it around. He's a big part of what this club wants to do offensively and needs to do and can do offensively. So you can't just put him on the bench and say, well, Manny Pena is now the everyday catcher. Because if you do that, it's going to be a lot tougher for Narvaez to come out of it. And as well as Pena has played this year, his ceiling is not as high from an offensive standpoint as Narvaez's ceiling is. So that's the... That's kind of what this team is uh, going through right now. I understand. Look, there's a lot. And again, this is not just an Omar Narvaez thing. There's a lot of people out there that are saying, why isn't Manny Pena playing more? Why isn't Jed Jerko playing more? Why isn't whoever? Why aren't they playing more? Or why is X players still in the lineup every day? And they're, they're very valid questions. Like I'm not, I'm not dismissing you if you feel that way. If you think Manny Pena should be the everyday catcher, I think there's an assumption then that you don't think that Omar Narvaez is ever going to get going. And if we had a crystal ball, if we knew whether or not Omar Narvaez was going to be the Omar Narvaez that we expected him to be at the end of the season, if we knew that, then it would be a very easy decision on whether or not he should be penciled into the lineup as often as as he is being put in there. But we don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. So, it's a process of becoming your best self, putting yourself in position to be the, the best possible team you can be in the postseason, and also winning enough games right now. And it's a juggling act. And I, there's a, again, I think there's a lot of nuance to this conversation because it's, it's not always about who's going to give you the best chance to win today. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. A lot of people really don't want to hear. I've I've talked about that before in kind of a, a different sort of way when I've talked about bullpen usage. You know, if you're down big, if you're down seven, eight, nine runs in the third inning of a game, how are you going to utilize your bullpen from there on out? And you know, there's t- there are the occasional game where you're down big, you utilize your bullpen in a way that you don't have maybe your A or even your B relievers out there, and your offense actually mounts a comeback and you get within a couple runs and you end up losing by one, two, three runs, whatever it might be, and immediately people after the game are saying, well, if you would have pitched this guy or if you would have pitched this guy, you would have given yourself a chance to win. But it is so rare for that to happen. You know, Do you want to utilize your A bullpen pitchers to try to win a game that you have a 1% chance of winning where it could impact your opportunity to win the next day? If if you go use Josh Hader, for example, and this would never happen, but again, I'm trying to make a point. If you were to use Josh Hader in a game that you're losing and you still lose, and then the next day it's a tight game and you're up late and you can't hold on to it, you know, maybe you've cost yourself two losses as opposed to going one and one over those two days. So it's it's the same sort of argument, but in a different way. Like what are what are you doing right now with your club to help it get to a place where it can be at its best at the end of the season? Because that is important too. Winning games right now is important. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to discount winning right now. Don't don't think I'm saying that. But I also say 
this team does need to move towards being its best self. And being its best self means Omar Narvaez is hitting like we expected him to hit. Justin Smoke is hitting like we expected him to hit. Christian Yelich is hitting like we expected him to hit. And, you know, for example, I look at, I've got the lineup card from Sunday's game. They had three hitters in the lineup that after the game were hitting above 240. And they were the seven, eight, nine hitters. And Manny Pena at 333, Luis Arias at 474, and Orlando Arcia at 304. I'll pull out the, the, the box score from Saturday's game. Um, they had, what, one hitter? They had one hitter in the lineup on Saturday who was hitting better than 250 when that game got over. After Saturday's game, Luis Arias was hitting 400. Nobody else was hitting. You know, and then Orlando Arce after that game was at 262, and Avisayo Garcia was at 250. So, I mean, that just it proves the point. There's a lot of guys in the lineup. Uh, after Sunday's game, Ryan Braun, 207. Ben Gamble, 151. Keston Hira, 225. Christian Yalich, 194. Jed Jerko, 240. Avisael Garcia, 234. Justin Smoke, 206. There's a lot of guys struggling from an offensive standpoint, but they're winning games. They're finding a way to win. And if this team was, if we were playing a 162 game season and this team was at a 550, 60 games into the year, about where, where we would be at right now at the, at the one third of the season mile marker, everybody would be fine with that. You, you try to play 500 baseball through the first half or so of the season maybe even further than that, and then you take off after that. That's kind of one of the equations. I do think this year, one of the most unique things about this year is the Brewers did sign a number of veteran gambles, like risky veteran players, and in a 162-game season, you could give those guys some time to see if it worked out, and if it didn't work out, well, there'd be time to go get somebody else, go make a trade for somebody, make, make some type of a change. That that testing period for these guys who it's a little bit of a gamble, that testing period doesn't really exist this year. So this is how it is. Uh, the team may have been built for 162, but they've got 60. And, and by the way, I'll say, so. I, when the 60 game, this is kind of a new thing for me, and, and I'm willing to change my opinion on things when I'm wrong, and I think one area that I was wrong, and I'm starting to see it now, uh, I, I really felt like this team was kind of built for a 60-game schedule. Uh, I thought the the rules and everything would help them. And as we've gotten into it and I've looked at it a little bit more and I've heard other things that other people have said and have listened to other smart people, the, the idea that the thing I really didn't consider was the gambling aspect on some of these guys who are going to have big roles with this team and how because – there's just you didn't know how they were gambles. A gamble is a gamble. There's a risk involved in it. And as I see that now, it really does feel like this team was more built for 162 because there were enough question marks that maybe they would have had to erase. So I've I've changed my uh, I've changed my tune on that a little bit. So don't pull out like words that I said from podcast just before the season got started because I, I think I did say something around, along the lines of I felt this team was built for the 60 game schedule but 
as I've looked at it, I've kind of changed my tune on that. I, I don't think they're completely built for the 60 games. There are some areas that they are, some areas that they're not. Who Nobody's built for a 60-game schedule, though, because it's baseball. It's 162 games, and they're not doing that this year. All right, uh, J.R. Radcliffe, he is our featured guest this week on the podcast. Trending sports reporter with uh, the Journal Sentinel and JS Online, and he joins us in like 15 seconds. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to be able to welcome back onto the podcast. He is the trending sports reporter for the Journal Sentinel and JS Online. He is J.R. Radcliffe. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. Radcliffe spelled R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E. I have to think the vast majority of people listening to this podcast are very familiar with his work. Hey, J.R., how are you? Hey, I'm good. It's been a minute. Nice to uh, nice to be able to still talk baseball at uh, at this point in the season. Yeah, it's good. L- let me ask, you know what? I want to start you off with something that's not even like baseball related. Um, you're the trending sports reporter. So if, so if somebody asked me, hey, what does that JR guy do for the Journal Sentinel? <laughs> what I th- do I do? I think my answer would be like he f- he finds cool and interesting things and he writes about them. Like that's the that's what I feel like you do more often than not. Have you even with sports being back? Have you found that there's there's a lot less cool and interesting things to find, or has it not actually been that? Uh, have you not been that impacted? Uh, no, I've been impacted. There was, there's definitely been a, a dearth of cool, fun, interesting things, and even the things like for a few months there, even the things that maybe were out there that were sports related, it was hard for people to really get into them. I, I mean, I found that there were just weren't a lot of readers, you know, headed to, to to read my stuff, and and I don't blame them because who's excited about you know. I, I found that way over on the NFL draft. Who's excited about the NFL draft when you're not certain there's going to be an NFL season or, you know, looking forward to free agent signings or things like everything is so uncertain. What are you going to, what do you want to talk about or read about that sports related? You know, it just, it just, it just feels like we're headed in an unfamiliar, you know, an uncertain direction. So I don't think sports were really top of mind for people. Obviously everybody wanted to see them back, see the games back, but it was, uh, I, there was definitely a period there where I was digging through the past trying, I, I did a big series on, great moments in Wisconsin sports history as a lot of writers were doing during the early months of COVID. So definitely nice to have games back, things to talk about, you know, playoffs to look forward to, things like that. It's definitely been uh, been a relief the last month and a half. Do you find, so like for me, and I've said this a few times on this podcast, so it's nothing new, but I still feel dirty every time I say it. For me, <laughs> like if, if the Brewers go two for 11 with runners in scoring position, or if they strike out 13 times and everybody's going crazy about it, like I get it's a big deal, but I also want to be like, yeah, but they're playing baseball during a pandemic. Like that is, it's, it's really tough for me to get like righteously indignant about anything that's going on right now when kind of it's part of my job to, I don't know if it's part of my job to get righteously indignant, but you get where I'm going with this. Do you find that at all? Like, does it, does it ever feel weird getting into like serious sports stuff with everything else going on in the world? Yeah, of course it does. And the caveat, I think the reader and the writer both understand the caveat is always there. Like here's something that's interesting insofar as sports is interesting at a time when, 
you know, people are worried about jobs and their health and money and things like that. So uh, I think there is sort of that social contract. You're allowed to talk about runners in scoring position. You're allowed to talk about frustrations with bullpen management. You're allowed to feel that sort of stupid adrenaline rush that comes with the the Cubs loading the bases on two walks and a hit batsman in a key spot, like maybe happened on Sunday at one point. So uh, I, I think that, you know, there is a point where you sort of, you sort of in the back of your mind drag yourself back to reality and say, okay, well, we could get deep in the weeds on this. It is kind of nice just to cheer for baseball, even if the baseball isn't perfect, or even if the basketball team that we like is not clicking on all cylinders. Like it, there, there is a, you know, there is sort of a satisfaction in simply having it in our lives, regardless of the outcome. But, uh, but you know, part of wanting it in our lives is to is to feel normal. And if you feel normal, it means that you're you're you know caring about minutia that is not that big of a deal, right? Stupid stuff, like runners in scoring position batting average i mean things like that are are what make sports kind of part of an everyday normal existence so so it's understandable to gravitate toward those things yeah there's a point where you bring it back and say okay let's not get too worked up about it but uh if we didn't get a little worked up about it i don't know if we'd be following it at all right we'd just be watching the nightly news and politics and stuff so so i understand both sides of it i'm not trying to bait you into an answer with this question with this being a brewers podcast i want to totally truthful answer on this the bucks are getting set for the postseason the brewers are still kind of at the beginning of the season kind of in the middle of a season depending on how you look at it from engagement and things like that what are you seeing people being more interested in right now brewers or bucks you know to be completely honest not a lot of anything we haven't seen a lot of engagement you know more than what, what we would normally see at this point and I don't, I don't know why that is. I think it's probably because this is so weird for people. I do think people are still very much out of their routines and and focused on things that maybe aren't aren't sports related first, which which is probably healthy. Um, so overall, I would say engagement is down. I still think, and this is speculative because I can't get into the, to the collective fans' head, but I, I mean the Brewers. Are, are associated with summer. So if, if we're thinking about summertime sports, we're, we're still thinking about the Brewers. Even though the Bucks are in the playoffs, this is such an unusual arrangement, and the season should have ended months ago. And we're still here talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, no doubt, you know, Bucks fans are in. They're excited. The idea of a championship coming to the city of Milwaukee is a huge, huge thing, and I know that people are excited about that and interested in that. But, I, you know, especially with this lead-up to the playoffs and even the first round of the playoffs, I imagine – you're not going to quite get that level of buzz because this is such an out-of-place phenomenon right now where at least baseball, you know, baseball has always existed for us in the middle of, you know, in August, the dog days of August. So I think that's probably where people's, the, the casual fans' attention is right now. Um, I, obviously, if the Bucks get in the NBA Finals, you know, that's it's going to become a Milwaukee Bucks town very quickly no matter mm-hmm. what the Brewers are doing. But uh, but I do, think, I do think baseball is, when it comes to summer, baseball is always going to be king. Uh, even in this very unusual arrangement. I'm not the right person to comment on this because I, I'm i at every Brewers home game and I wa- any game that I'm not at, I'm, I'm watching on TV when they're on the road. So I am, I am fully consumed in baseball, where with basketball it's more of a fan type thing for me. I just enjoy sitting down and watching it. But I have, when I watch baseball, especially when I'm at Miller Park, but even to a lesser extent on TV, man, it feels different. For the NBA, 
like the other night I watched the end of the uh, the Trailblazers Nets game where the Trailblazers had to win to get that eight seed, and that was fantastic basketball. Like that could have that was the to me that was the exact same game as I would have seen if there was thirty thousand people in an arena for that game. So uh, to me, it feels like baseball is a little bit more different in terms of what's going on on the playing surface than basketball. Would you agree or disagree with that sentiment? I, w- I would agree. That's just the nature of I think. The, the way the game flow moves. Uh, Brian Anderson kind of articulated this when, when he met with the media shortly before the Brewer season started. The challenge of calling a game when you're not physically there in a, in a baseball setting is that the ball could go any number of directions. You know, and, and you see this with announcers. When the team is on the road and you're watching the announcers on TV, there's nothing they can do about this. But a ball gets hit sharply, or let's say it's daytime and you can't even see the ball get hit. You don't know if it's a foul down the third baseline or a bomb you know, out in the left field bleachers, not right away. So there's kind of this pause. You don't, you don't really know what's happening because that ball could be going a few different directions. Basketball is just back and forth. You know, there's two ways the ball can go. The the way the the court is set up, you you, you see those video screens on one side, so you get sort of a, a a vibe of people being there with the virtual fans. It's it's just not as obvious that there are no fans there. You cannot avoid camera angles in a baseball stadium yeah. that that show you the seats. Like you will know that there are no fans at a baseball game, no matter no matter how you try to broadcast it. You can actually almost edit that out entirely with the basketball game. It's kind of incredible. Um, so I think that's just the nature of the game play. And, and certainly I notice it with the announcers, who I think are doing a ridiculously good job. It's incredible. Especially, I was listening to the radio broadcast today, and you would never know they're not at Wrigley Field, the way you hear the crowd noise work in the background and stuff. But there is, there is a difficulty there. There is a, an extra pause. And without a crowd reaction, there is a, you know, a, a you know, real human crowd reaction. There is just that little extra element missing that sort of tells you what's going on. Um, again, with basketball, you can you can see it. It's you know it's all right there on your screen, back and forth. Baseball, there is a little bit that happens off the screen that you sort of use these nonverbal, not nonverbal cues, but you know exterior cues that you don't have this year. So it's a little bit awkward, still trying to fill in some of those gaps. I was talking to Lane Grindle the other day, and he and Jeff Levering do are doing the road broadcast from Miller Park, and he told so they've got all these monitors, and but the the monitors are not all synced up with each other. So there's a Oh, that is frustrating. There's an all nine camera that they have. And there was a play that he had where there was a hit and on like his main and there were I think there were runners maybe on second and third. So on his main screen, he's watching the ball go out to wherever it was going in the outfield and he and he saw the one run score and then he looked to the all nine to see what was going on and he saw a run scoring, so he thought the runner that was originally on second was scoring, but it was actually just <laughs> delayed from what he had initially saw. So he was again seeing the same guy scoring. And I think that's just that's a great example of just how challenging it is for what they're trying to do that is really frustrating i I mean i like i said i give them a ton of credit that they're able to put this together and and sell the picture i listen to almost the entire game sunday uh on you with lane grindle and jeff levering and there are a couple moments because i know what they're dealing with and i know how you know how the setup is that i could tell oh man he he needed to wait that extra moment to see if that ball was caught until the camera switched angles or you know he wasn't sure if the guy, if Luis Luis Urias was going to get from second to third on the triple without, you know, without a throw, like that, that stuff isn't available to you because you can't see everything at once without physically being there. But they do, they do such a good job, and the the, the task that they 
I don't think people will ever understand how difficult what they're doing is. It's like, wow, they're just going to watch a game on TV and calling it on TV. Like, how how difficult is that? But it's it's so much more difficult than just physically being there. It's it's really hard to explain. And uh, and I'm really impressed with what what they've been able to do so far. Well, just think about how often. The Brewers use a shift, you know, maybe they put the third baseman over behind, between the first baseman and second baseman. When you're just normally calling a game, you, you recognize that as that person moves. When when these games are going on, you, your, your brain has to move fast enough to, when the play is made, actually in that moment recognize who that is making the play based off what they look like and not based off where they're, where you know they're at. Like There's so many things that are challenging about it. Yeah, and another sort of subterranean thing is that we're only getting there's only one feed coming out of a ballpark. The team that if you're watching with the visitor feed or the home feed, you're going to get the same visuals. And so they don't, you know, during the course of a game, there's a lot of communication. The, the announcers can say, "Oh, let you know, let's talk a little bit more about how Christian Yelich. He kind of looked like he was running a little weird. Let's watch him in the outfield a little bit. You'll see a lot of camera shots to that guy. I mean, that's something that we don't have this year, and that's not something people are going to notice overtly is missing. But they they can't like. They can't focus on one guy because they are, again, at the mercy of the visiting team's feed. So there's not going to be extra shots in the dugout to show players that are struggling or succeeding. There's not going to be extra emphasis on on where guys are shifted or any anything that they can really follow. So they have that taken out of their hands, too. Otherwise, they'd be able to sort of say, you know, let's follow this guy and get a little more information over the next couple innings. They, they can't do that. It's it's purely a one-way communication. So uh so again, props to them. I, I don't know. I, this has got to be just so tough for them, but uh, but they're pulling it off. Yeah, they they absolutely are. From a baseball side of things, I think if you just went up to like a random Brewers fan, not not like the study the box score on an everyday sort of person, but the 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 one who's if it's on TV, they've got it on, knows if they win or lost, you know, no knows the headlines. I think if you went up to a random Brewers fan, they'd say, yeah, they're not really playing that great to start the year. Where you know they're a third of the way through, they're at 500. If you're judging on a 162 game season, if you're uh, if you're 50 games or so into the year and you're at 500, you're in perfectly good shape. It, albeit it's an expanded playoff, but if the season ended at this very moment, uh, they're a playoff team getting one of those uh, final two spots. Like it's it's better than it feels, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's better than it feels. I mean. It- their offense is bad like let's we don't need to mince words i mean we can say it's a ridiculously small sample and it is and there's there's obviously just a ton of guys that haven't gotten going yet you hope yet (laughs) you hope that you see better over the last five weeks but uh but yeah the offense has been bad like the vast majority of guys on this team are are not hitting the ball and yet they're 10 and 10 through the first third and like you said with the expanded playoffs half the teams make it in and 500 is almost certainly going to be good enough to make the playoffs. And, you know, maybe you got to be a slight uptick above, but you've got to think this team can do better than this. And, you know, part of the concern, I think, is that all of the new guys that, that were brought in haven't, haven't performed. And so there isn't like this track record, at least with Keston Hira to a degree, even though we haven't seen a ton of him in his career. And, and Christian Yelich, you know, Brewers fans understand that they're not hitting the ball very well but you know you expect that those guys you've seen the track record you know they're going to improve or at least you know, we hope they're going to improve uh but all the you know guys like omar narvaez and avisel garcia and justin smoke i mean these guys haven't been brewers for very long so there isn't this understanding that they are they're definitely going to play you know they're definitely going to hit if you're a casual fan obviously we can look at their past stats we know that they're 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 better players than what they've shown so far at the plate 
uh, particularly Nervaez, who's just really struggling. And, and there isn't just this go-to guy in the lineup right now. The Brewers have seen really good production early out of Luis Arias, and, and Orlando RC has been very good. But there isn't the guy right now that you're like, oh, I hope that's the guy that's up in a big spot um, with no Lorenzo Cain and Ryan Braun isn't hitting very well, Yelich and Hira and, and all the guys we mentioned. Like, it's just, it's been a slog. But to be 10 and 10, you've got to feel good about it. I mean, three one-run wins over Chicago, over Chicago in a row, let's be honest, they all could have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. They easily could have gotten swept in four games in that series, but they didn't. And in a 60-game season, every win is so precious, you have to feel just excellent thinking, this team's got a lot, a lot of room to grow here. And the fact that they're 500 so far is is a huge, uh, you know, a huge survival, and uh, and they should they should do better in the next, you know, the next two two thirds. I'm looking at the box score from Sunday's game, the six five nine inning win because they won six five and ten innings the day before. But of in the lineup of the starting lineup, and actually any any offensive player who played, so we'll throw Ben Gamble in there who came in as a defensive replacement late for Ryan Braun. The only players who are even hitting above 240 in the lineup from Sunday's lineup were the 7, 8, and 9 hitters in Manny Pena at 333, Luis Urias at 474 in a very small sample size, and Orlando Arcia at 304. I don't think anybody would think that this would be a 10-10 and 10 team if I would have told them at the, in the 20th game of the year the only players hitting above 240 are those three guys and they're your 7, 8, 9 hitters. And you're absolutely right. I love Manny Pena, and, and I'm, I'm glad that he's hitting well. Obviously, that two-home run game was pretty cool, and he seems to be seeing the ball really well. But you know that Manny Pena is not a guy who's going to carry your offense for the whole season. Same thing for Orlando Arcia, who's come up clutch time and time again. He's had a very weird offensive profile. He's a he's a fun player. He's, he's solid defensively. He's not going to carry your team. He's not. And even, you know, like, even his power numbers are just, you know, he hit a home run on Sunday, but... He's not going to. He's not going to pound the ball out of the ballpark, he, and we know this. They need the guys up and up top to be the guys to pound the ball out of the ballpark, and they're, you know, they're one of the worst worst team OPSs in in the National League. I think only the Pirates are worse, and that's a pretty bad indictment. So that's that's just not something you'd expect out of this team, even a team that is built the way they are with a lot of platoons. Certainly built for a 162 game season, and they're not going to get to live that out this year. And that's that's unfortunate for the Brewers and for the, the architects of the team that that certainly played it that way. Um, but uh, but you also, I guess, like superstitiously or whatever, could say to yourself, well, they're all slumping now. Maybe they all get hot. Maybe this next week they all start to click. And, I, you know, I think that's optimistic. But but, you know, maybe maybe Justin Smoke hits four home runs in six games like you could see that happening. You could see Abisail Garcia hitting better. You know, Omar Narvaez is not this player like he is going to hit. You just. You just have to believe he's not going to be this low of a, you know, this low performing of an offensive player. So, uh, so you 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 feel good that that there's, like I said, there's room to grow, and you feel good that that's that's got to be where they're headed. You're, I mean, you, you've got to think that they can at least, uh, you know, get get those points up a little bit on the OPS, the average, and the the numbers that are suffering so badly. I think the number one like debate, storyline, narrative, whatever word you want to use that, that at least I've had with, say, listeners during my post-game show, there's a lot of nuance to it, and it's hard to like even verbalize, and I'll attempt to do it here. Like Right now, Manny Pena is swinging a better bat than Manny Pena. You, or, I mean, yeah, my, Manny Pena is swinging a better bat than Omar Nevaez. You can maybe even make the argument that like right now, Manny Pena gives you a better chance to win. But for this team to accomplish what they want to accomplish this year, for this team to get to its best self, you need 
Omar Nervaez to swing it. And so you got to keep penciling him into the lineup in order to try to get him going. And there's you, you can't always just go with the hot hand, but in a 60-game season, there's not as much rope to give guys as they're struggling. And it's, it's this weird balancing act of trying to win games now, but also to make sure that your team overall reaches its potential. And so when, when people call for Jed Jerko to be in the lineup every day or when people call for Manny Pena to be in the lineup every day, I, I can sit there and say, okay, maybe today that gives you a better chance to win, but the game you maybe win today might cost you a couple wins at the end of the season because you're not going to be your best team. And it's just, it's a really hard thing. And that's that's a task that Craig Council has. And I, I, I you know, people who are calling for Manny Pena, like I understand why. It's not a, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I am saying maybe that doesn't help you become the team that you want to be if you're the Brewers. I, I don't mean to disparage a guy like Ben Gamble, but we've already really seen this happen, where Ben Gamble was swinging for a moment there before, in, in the preseason scrimmage games and then the early games of the season. He was swinging a great bat. I mean, he was just pounding the ball, crushing it. And to the point where this was before Lorenzo Cain opted out, well, what are they going to do? They're going to find room for Ben Gamble to get into games. And and again, I love Ben Gamble. I think he's a great fifth outfielder. He fits every, checks every box that the Brewers could possibly want in a guy in that spot. But he's got enough you know, track record to, you should know he's not a starting outfielder per se. I mean, he is on some teams, but on a team that likes to think of itself as a playoff contender, he's probably your fourth, your fourth outfielder at best. So then we saw him go into a little bit of a slump shortly thereafter. And, and now, you know, it maybe isn't as, as conflicting a conversation as it was, even though he's going to get more playing time because Lorenzo Cain isn't here anymore. Um, so, so you'll, I think you'll probably see that with, with a lot of guys, when you know the track record, you know what to expect you know that Manny Pena, yeah, he's swinging a hot bat right now, and he, I mean he's had really good. He's had a really good season with the Brewers a couple of years ago. He was awesome. Uh, I, I don't mean to suggest that as backup catchers go, you could do so much worse. But the thing is, Narvaez is a left-handed bat. You're going to face predominantly right-handed pitchers. He's a guy that is still. He is like he's the guy that could actually be a star player. I don't know if he is. I don't. I don't think he is. I don't know if he'll get there. But he's a guy who could get to that level. You really don't expect that necessarily out of Manny Pena. And and yeah, in a world that is completely short term, a sixty game season, you got to get the hot hand in there. You can't let the guy who's, you know, who's barely getting on base at all to to soak up too much of the too many at bats. But he has to, you know, he his ceiling is so much higher. You know that he could, if he gets hot, he could be an absolute star in the middle of that lineup. So they have to keep giving him chances because if they let him, you know, wither on the bench. It, it, it is a short season, but it is still 60 games. There is a little bit of a middle distance sprint to this. It's not just it's not a marathon, but it's also not you know it's not 100 meters. So they, they do have to they do have to play a little bit of a long game. It's true to to keep getting this guy at bats, get him in, con- in comfortable role. You know, maybe by the second week of September, if there's nothing happening, they're going to have to just make it a full time thing. Manny Pena's your guy, and Omar Narvaez in spots like that could that could be the case. But we're not there yet. So uh, so there's going to be still plenty of at bats for Narvaez. One of the really fun aspects of this team is the lockdown nature of the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning pitchers. When when everybody's available, when when Hader hasn't pitched in a day or two, and you can go uh, Williams, just like they did it on Sunday, Williams to Phelps to Hader. That's in a way, it's kind of like two years ago when you had you know an all star level Canable and all star level Jeffress and, and Hader in there as well. That those final three innings are kind of on lockdown now when all those three guys are available. Yeah, I, I, I got to be honest, if I was 
crafting a roster from memory, I, I might have forgotten, you know, this would have been in, in, during the middle of COVID trying to say, okay, well, we're getting closer to baseball. Who's, who's going to make the Brewers, you know, opening day roster? I might have forgotten that they even traded for David Phelps, or I should not traded, but, uh, but you know, acquired him in the offseason. He wasn't one of the top-line guys that you think of that the Brewers brought in because they brought so many pieces on offense. Devin Williams is a guy that obviously we remember him from last year, but I don't think anybody appreciated how good his changeup had become and how dominant of a pitch that could make him he's throwing that changeup in every count he still throws a really hard fastball you know so he's it's not just going from changeup to hittable fastball i mean he can really gas it by guys too so uh, what a, what an emergence you yeah. know like both of those guys have been like you said just outstanding and and hater hasn't given up a hit in his outings yet a lot of a little bit of command trouble for josh hater um you know maybe maybe not super concerning over a short sample but you know this is a guy that walked 20 guys all of last year 70 some innings and uh, he's already walked four in, four in his outings this year. And, and quite honestly, two of the guys that he faced on Sunday should have been walked. He threw ball four to a couple of them. And the Jordan Baker strike zone was, a, was pretty forgiving to Josh Hader on Sunday, thank goodness, uh, helping the Brewers get through that game so quickly uh, in the ninth. But, um, you know, but obviously Josh Hader brings an element to the table that very few teams, if, if any team, can, can account for. Like, that's, that's a dominant, dominant lefty closer option. And, uh, and yeah, those three guys... Clicking. I mean, just imagine if Corey Knebel finds himself and, and gets close to what he was in 2018. Jury very much out on that. But if, if they do recover that, you know, that level of of power and control, that's that's another guy that you really got to rely on in the bullpen. Bullpens are fleeting. You can't yeah. if you cannot fall in love with them. They're always going to be ebbing and flowing. You know, the same guys we're in love with this this month might not be the same guys next month. But but love it for what it is right now. They definitely have. Uh, ton of options out of that bullpen and it uh it's pretty it's, it's how you win three one-run games in a row and at wrigley field in chicago is with great bullpen pitching that that's why doug melvin never signed bullpen guys to more than a one-year deal like you just you don't know what their second year is going to look like right and when he did they burned him i mean david yeah. risky was like the sure, most surefire signing you could have had health effectiveness everything and then he got hurt and was like half a year pitcher i mean great pitcher great guy it just didn't work out that's why that's like you said that's why doug melvin never made those big time deals let me play devil's advocate with you on the Josh Hader walks. And look, walks are not good. I'm not trying to say they're good here. But he's not giving up home runs, and he's not giving up home runs because he's throwing the slider. And it's, not, it's not as easy to throw a slider for strikes as it is to throw a fastball for strikes. And, he's man, he is really working that slider. And when he's on with it, it's unhittable. When he's off with it, it's not being thrown for strikes. And sometimes we see each of those things happen in the exact – when he had his multi-inning one, what was it, uh, the, uh, when he did multi-innings in Friday, I guess it was, in the eighth inning he couldn't throw it for strikes. In the ninth inning he could. So, uh, But that, to me that's the reason for the walks – and generally, I would rather give up a hit than a walk. That's always kind of been the way I am. I'm sort of the opposite of that with Josh Hader because he's going to get better at throwing that slider for strikes. So if it means he's going to walk a few guys here in the early season, even the entire season, and, and he really gets command of it next year, so be it, man. I'm fine. Yeah, I, you know what? That's a really good point and, and something that was clamored for a lot Last year, or, or the year, you know, last year when he was struggling with the home run ball, why doesn't he throw a slider more? Throw the slider more, the slider more, you know? Uh, and, and absolutely, we are seeing that on Sunday. He threw a ton of fastballs to Nico Horner in that 13 pitch at bat, and then finally did sneak a slider then toward the end. I mean, that's the, 
that's the beauty of that thing. You always have it in the back of your, you know, back of hitters' minds if they see it more often. So you're right. And again, like I'm talking about four walks over six innings. Like this is the this is the most, you know, ridiculously small sample. Not really a concern. And 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 like you said, there there might be a really good reason. There is. There's the aspect of unpredictability with, you know, all arms and legs and velocity that Josh Hader provides and pinpoint accuracy on the corners like that unpredictability is is an asset. It can be a big time asset. So you're right. If if there's more sliders, you're probably going to get a little bit down tick in control. And that's OK. I mean, and and I mean, like, like you said, he hasn't he hasn't allowed a hit yet. So uh, no one is uh, no one is squaring this thing up and, and putting the ball out of the ballpark against him. Uh, so, uh, so so far, so good with Josh Hader, for sure. On Saturday, when he wasn't used and Knable had given up that home run, I got a ton of text messages on my postgame show and tweets about, you know, why wasn't Hader used? And he'd thrown 37 pitches the day before. Are we, are we ever going to see a time, and I'll finish you off with this, are we ever going to get to a moment that the majority of the Brewers fan base is accepting <laughs> of the way Craig Council utilizes Josh Hader? You, uh, as soon as you said majority of the Brewers fan base, I knew the answer would be not a chance. <laughs> I knew, uh, yeah. Now, I, 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 you know, when you have somebody who's so dominant, the the criticism is always, why aren't you using him more? And and I understand that, of course. Like you don't want to see a second tier pitcher give up a lead when you've got one of the best pitchers in baseball in, in at the back of the bullpen. I totally understand that. And there are there have been times this year where I haven't understood myself. Why Josh Hader wasn't brought in earlier? I, I, all I can, all I can do though is surrender trust to Craig Council and how they have managed him. They have found sort of the the right medium with him, uh, and and the results speak for themselves. They they do have whatever whatever formula they're using has absolutely worked. And he did he 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 got Homer happy last year. I yeah. mean, there were times where you couldn't feel comfortable with him necessarily in a one run game with nobody on base because. There's a chance the guy's going to take him out. I mean, he, you know, even on right on opening day, he gave up a, a ball that should have been a home run stolen by Lorenzo Cain in 2019. So, like, you know, we knew then that it was going to be a little bit different, a little bit of a different experience. He was obviously still very, very, very good. And, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I guess all I'm saying is I trust Craig Council on this one. He is he has proven timing again. He knows how to manage these guys and has the right you know, has all the information and has the right idea in mind of what they're going to do. He sticks to his plan and the results have, have been there. So uh, I am, I guess I would love to see more Josh Hader like everyone else, you know, the more the merrier, but if it, if it is to be a more reduced role and specifically a ninth inning role, uh, that's, that's something I trust. The, uh, the credential situation at Miller Park, there's a lot less media covering. You generally get out and cover a handful of games during the year. Do you get to walk into Miller Park at any point this season? I probably could. I, I, I haven't really, I haven't asked to be honest. And, and, you know, there's gotta be a reason for me to be there. <laughs> I mean, you know, I used to do podcast interviews with players before games. I used to, you know, maybe I had like a, a fan angle I was working on or some sort of peripheral angle I was working on, but like, where are those things this year? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not getting down to talk to players. I, there, there isn't much yeah. for me to see that I'm not seeing at home or listening to on the broadcast. So, uh, very, very much of a bummer. I mean, like everyone else who doesn't love being at Miller Park, and even from a media standpoint, it's it's pretty cool to cover a baseball game. And you know, maybe I get out there once or twice this year, but uh, but right now there's no immediate immediate plans to do so. We've got obviously two very good reporters in Tom Hodricourt and Todd Rosiak covering for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and those guys are at the park at the home games at least. And uh, and you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, there's just not a whole lot of whole lot of point for me to to head out there and don my mask and kind of kind of 
bunker down in the press box for the whole game. I think a lot of media. I was having a conversation with Adam McCalvey the other day. It's like, what what are we doing here? Because like for me, uh, there's a benefit, especially when Jerry Augustine is my uh, co-host for post game show because he's at the ballpark, so we're standing in the same room together co-hosting a show, and there's there's a benefit to that. But you know those guys. Most of the beat writers are, are covering the team, you know, remotely when they're on the road. Those with the Zoom calls, you can. There's nothing, no extra access you get by actually being at the ballpark. I think a lot of people are saying, from a media standpoint, okay, what is the actual benefit of being inside the ballpark during games? I think that's a fair question. I, I mean, it, it is. I, I, there is something to be gained from just physically being able to see it and and seeing it from above and. You know, the, we talked about the camera angles that announcers have. You know, it's nice to just be able to watch it and, and be able to sort of describe it in that sense. I, it's not a huge benefit. And, um, you know, hopefully this doesn't become more of a long-term thing. I don't think we will – You initially sports came back and everybody was just so relieved to have them on our TV sets and in our lives that I, this isn't something that's going to jump out right away. But over time, I think in the way baseball and, and all sports are covered, you're going to start to notice this. Oh, yeah. That – that media people don't have access to the players. They, they can't tell these interesting personal one-on-one stories. It's all going to be very vanilla and very bland because it's, it's all in a press conference setting. I mean, I think you know this as, as well as anybody does. The, the stuff you get in those post-game press conferences when it's 60 people gathered around talking to one guy is not the stuff that's interesting. It's the one-on-one stuff that you get because you sought it out or you stayed a little longer to ask a couple extra questions, you know, not, not, not even in a nosy way, just to get to know the player or get, you know, some angle out there. That stuff doesn't exist right now. All we have are the, like, cliched, canned responses from, from press conferences before and after games. Two players, three players, whatever it is. So that stuff isn't a big deal now. I think over time we're going to start to feel, it's going to start to feel kind of stale. Like, wow, we haven't really, we don't really know this team yet. We don't know some of the, the guys and the, the, the newcomers. We don't know a lot of their stories because no one's in position to tell them at this point. So, so that ultimately will catch up with it. And hopefully we can, you know, we can get back to quote unquote normal or some variants of uh, as soon as possible. I actually feel a little bad at times and I feel bad because I'm a fan of journalism and I love reading stories about the team and it helps me you know, there'll be time where uh, Tom or Todd or, or Adam or Will, whoever it might be, asks a question on these press conference calls where obviously they're, they're working on a story about something. And then I, on the pregame show or the postgame show, run run that press conference audio. And whenever I hear it, and if it's a question that's not like specific to the game, I, I in a weird way, I feel like I'm scooping them and I'm, totally. I'm, I'm missing out. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it, but I kind of feel bad because all of a sudden there's less impact of something they're going to work really hard on. Yeah, if I have an angle or a feature story that I'm working on, you know, maybe I'll go after a game and I'll I'll join the group of reporters, you know, ask some questions. And, and then afterwards, I'll linger for a little bit. Okay, now... You know, this stuff wasn't as important to everybody. So let me let me focus on this, some really specific stuff. Um, that's that's always the heart of the story that you wind up telling. And so, you know, when you don't have that option, you do what, what everyone is obviously doing is asking sort of very specific offbeat questions in these group settings. And like you said, I mean, that's fair game. It's, it's info available to all the media outlets, but like all the media outlets are getting the same thing. You know, it's a little bit, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to take us down a rabbit hole at all, but you know, it's a little bit like propaganda. You only get the one side of the story. You only get the sort of print canned presented side and i mean this is this is a pandemic i'm not like i'm not suggesting the teams are doing anything malicious or or trying to hide stuff that's not what's happening it's just 
that's just the nature of the beast right now. So there's no those side conversations. Again, that's not something I think the layman would notice immediately. But over time, you're going to start to be like, this is this is getting kind of boring. You yeah. know, like these are really exciting games. I don't know this team at all because there's no one there to tell that part of the story. So. You know, like I said, hopefully, hopefully we get something closer to, to what we had before, so that some of those things can start seeing the light of day. Just remember, Jr. I'm, I'm a friend of journalism. I feel bad when I'm running that stuff. What <laughs> other radio guy would you ever hear say that? You know what? It is a nice market to be in Milwaukee. Everybody is kind of friendly, so I I appreciate the sentiment. I'm, it'll be on behalf of other people because, like I said, I'm not I'm not in the mix covering these games as much anymore. So, uh, you know, you <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me, uh, but. I'm sure everybody understands, you know, that's the way it is. Yep. That's just, that's just what we're facing. And like, like everybody, we're, we're making sacrifices like everyone else. That's just the way it goes. He is J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter with the Journal Sentinel, jsonline.com. J.R., great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to doing this again in the future. You bet, Matt. That sounds great. We'll talk again real soon. J.R. Radcliffe joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Here's what's coming up this week for the Brewers Monday probably the day you're listening to the podcast. The vast majority of our listenership each week comes on the first day that it's published on a Monday. So pretty good chance you're listening to it then. If not, that's okay. You can listen to it anytime you want. We just appreciate you being tuned in. Monday is the first scheduled off day in the month of August. They had unexpected off days earlier in the month when they did not play their games against the Cardinals. But uh, Monday the 17th, they're off, and then they're going to play back-to-back three-game road series against Minnesota and Pittsburgh before finally coming back home, and then they've got a long homestand beginning on Monday the 24th. You can hear the games on 620 WTMJ on the Brewers Radio Network. A reminder for you now that the Bucks are in the postseason. When Bucks postseason games are going on and Brewers games are going on at the same time, you'll be able to hear the Bucks postseason on WTMJ, and the Brewers game will be bumped over to our sister station. 94.5 ESPN. So if you're looking for the Brewers on the radio, especially for uh, you folks in uh, the Milwaukee area, 94.5 on the FM dial ESPN if uh, Bucks are on the radio on 620 when you tune into that. And for those of you who are not who are not in the Milwaukee area, maybe not in Wisconsin, because of course uh, 620 WTMJ has uh, it's the biggest stick in the state, baby. It's got reach. Uh, but if you cannot get the radio station, and you are looking for our post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings, you can stream it at WTMJ.com. I hear from people all the time who say they go tune in and they don't hear baseball stuff and they tune back out. Well, Major League Baseball has the streaming rights to the actual play-by-play of the game. So the stream is blacked out while the actual game is going on. And uh, you have to buy the, uh, the Major League Baseball streaming package. You're not able to listen to it online. But as soon as the network broadcast wraps up, the stream gets back activated before Brewers Extra Innings pops on. So if you want to hear my post-game show, that's how you can do it. Just be listening to WTMJ.com after the game. Generally about 15, 20, 25 minutes after the game actually ends is when the post-game show gets rolling. And you can hear that at WTMJ.com. All right, my, my appreciation going to uh, J.R. Radcliffe for joining us this week. That was a fun conversation. My appreciation to you for being tuned in, and we will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. 
For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.